Walk in the Breaking Doctrine, presented to you by the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate at the Combined Arms Center at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. The views expressed here are those of the individual and do not represent the views of the Combined Arms Center, U.S. Army, or U.S. Government. Hello, I'm Major Chris Parker, and this podcast topic is Doctrine Hacks, a conversation on doctrine shortcuts. With me today is Colonel Rich Creed, Director of the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate, or CAD, Lieutenant Colonel Reed McGravy, Chief of our Tactics Division, and Lieutenant Colonel Matt Fox, Chief of the Army Doctrine Publishing Division. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Today we're discussing some innovations, tips, and techniques that can assist users and make doctrine easier to access. Over the past couple of years, there have been several initiatives from CAD developed with the intent of getting doctrine into the hands of the soldier through digital delivery or more traditional means. There have also been new tools designed to guide users directly to the, inf- to the information they need with the ultimate intent of making doctrine more user-friendly. However, before we dive into these hacks, I think it's important that we start from a, a known point. So, Colonel Creed, to start with, can you give us a description of what doctrine is and how we should approach it? Yeah, sure thing, Chris. So, we were discussing before we started this, uh, since we're doing podcasts on breaking doctrine, perhaps we should have done our first episode on what doctrine <laughs> is and what do we use it for, right? Yes, sir. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is a learning journey. So I'll start with uh, how we define doctrine. So the Army defines doctrine as Army doctrine as fundamental principles with supporting tactics, techniques, procedures, as well as terms and symbols used for the conduct of operation and as a guide uh, for actions of our operating forces, as well as elements of the institutional force that directly support operations in support of national objectives. Okay, so what does that mean? You know, we managed to even make that sound complicated. <laughs> um, doctrine is the language of our profession. It's the shorthand that reflects our common culture. Um, what doctrine allows us to do is in military conditions, while we're doing operations, uh, conducting activities, executing tasks, what that does is allow us to communicate to each other Uh, With a form of shorthand, it means when I tell you to do a particular task, you know what that means without a a lot of explanation. And so the explanation becomes the context and the task's purpose uh, for what you're being asked to do and not the actual thing that you're being asked to do. Um, So there's five elements of doctrine. We kind of break it down in in different ways, right? Uh, So we have principles, um, and we're going to go broad to specific here, but principles They're the uh, comprehensive and fundamental rules or assumptions of central importance that guide how an organization approaches and thinks about the conduct of operations. Um, In a very broad sense, if you thought about the principles of war, which are a part of uh, the joint doctrine of the the United States Armed Forces, you kind of get that idea. They're they're broad fundamentals, right? Uh, We talk about tactics, the employment, ordered arrangement, and, and directed actions of forces in relation to each other. They're descriptive and not prescriptive. That means they describe the different options that are available that we would expect military professionals to understand, but they're not telling you what to do. They're not a checklist for success. They require judgment in their application, critical thinking, um, understanding of yourself, the threat that you're trying to deal with, and the operational environment in which uh, you're, you're conducting your tasks. Then we have techniques. They're non-prescriptive ways or methods used to perform missions, functions, or tasks. So you can think about movement 
techniques. People use the term TTP, tactics, techniques, and procedures, right? There are things that work based on lessons learned, and when we validate that they work um, in a general sense and, and they're relatively enduring over time, they become part of doctrine, and we get a lot of those from lessons learned. Then there are things called procedures, so standard detailed steps that prescribe how to perform specific tasks. Uh, they are prescriptive, so there's no deviation because they're a process. So when you have procedures, you're saying, I'm going to do these things in a certain sequence in a certain way because I have to have a guaranteed outcome on the other side. Uh, an example would be a nine-line medevac, an artillery call for fire. Um, but there's other things that are not so much doctrine, uh, but they fall into other areas, you know, command supply discipline or uh, command maintenance in the motor pool. You have to follow certain procedures in, a in certain steps um, or you're not going to get the, the outcomes on the other side. Um, and then lastly, terms and symbols. And so terms are the words we use and what they mean. So it's a common understanding of what the word attack means or envelopment means, uh, attack by fire means, and, and so forth, right? Uh, but the, the symbols are get to what you use either in digital things like the command post of the future uh, or, or, or digital systems that give you a common operating picture. They're the symbols that it would go on a map so that I look at uh, a little box with an X on it and I know that that's a brigade and then I know what type of brigade it is because it's got two crossed lines uh, and an oval. That means it's an armored brigade combat team, right? Uh, so those things are all uh, essentially the five elements of doctrine, and that's what we expect military professionals to understand. Okay. Well, thank you, sir, for that. <clears throat> now, I'd kind of like to turn briefly to, to look at the difference between concepts and doctrine, which, having worked over here at CAD for a while now, I understand that, that concepts feed into doctrine after they're vetted. Um, but can you, sir, go about explaining kind of the difference between the two and how we turn one into the other, how a concept becomes doctrine? Okay. Sure. The, uh, the concept that's probably been under the most discussion for the last almost four years now is first it was multi-domain battle, it's now multi-domain operations. The thing to, to remember is there's operational concepts that are in use now and then there's future concepts. Uh, so our current operational concept is unified land operations. Um, and that's defined in, in, in our capstone publication, so I won't uh, relay that to you. But the big idea is, uh, for that current operational concept is the simultaneous execution at some echelon uh, of offense, defense, and stability. And that is a, an outgrowth from full-spectrum operations, um, which is itself an outgrowth from air-land battle. So at some point, those were future concepts, but in, in those former cases... Um, they weren't future for very long because people over a period of a few years realized that that was the, the overall methodology that the Army wanted to conduct operations. So multi-domain operations is a little bit different. It's a recognition that the operational environment has changed and that the United States Army has to be able to uh, adapt to conduct operations against peer adversaries um, who, who are largely, um, most likely going to be conducting operations in their narrow broad and, and doing, say, a theater-wide defense. So the Army that needs to be able to do that needs to do or operate differently 
um, than, say, the Cold War Army did or the Army in Afghanistan and Iraq has to do. Uh, so what's the relationship? Well, we generally develop future concepts to solve problems that we don't have a solution for right now, that we can't do the way that we want to be able to do at, at say, acceptable levels of losses. So we could do many of the things that we needed to do for multi-domain operations if we had to right now, but it would be really ugly. Um, and so what we need to do from a doctrinal perspective is take a look at the problem sets that we're trying to solve and then lead the, the discovery learning process towards, okay, if we know we need to be able to fight this certain way, then all the other things that need to change in the Army would follow, whether it's our organizations or how we train, the types of equipment we field, or how we develop our people. And so the relationship between that future concept, uh, which does, quite frankly describes problems we have to solve right now anyways, um, and doctrine is pretty close. So we've been able to bring a lot of the multi-domain thinking into existing doctrine, and we've done that uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, but we're not there yet because we're fielding new systems, uh, we're fielding new kinds of organizations, we're looking at uh, changes in technology that may allow us to train people differently and so forth, so that um, as those things come into fruition and we understand how they work, uh, they can be driven into doctrine a little more specifically. But what we want to avoid is throwing things into doctrine because someone says, well, we need to be able to do this without validating um, that those approaches are going to work. And so how do we validate it? Well, we do it during training events. We do it in experimentation. Um, we do it by trying some new things during operations uh, or extrapolating lessons from those existing uh, operations. And we do tabletop exercises and, and various forms of experimentation, uh, not just within the Army, but with the rest of the Joint Force and, and our allies as well. So, sir, I kind of want to drill down on one of the things you mentioned there, and that was the relationship with doctrine and the other components of, of how we change the force or change the Army, uh, the dot mill PF model. Now, what's the enterprise, I guess, that is responsible for synchronizing these things? If we have material solutions that are, are being developed, and then we also have you know, our doctrine and personnel changes that we're making across the force, is this an HQDA? And, and how, does, how do we interface with that enterprise, I guess? Yeah, so we get lots of input, inputs, right, Chris? So we, we get told, um, in some cases, we're going to build a new unit on SVAB. Security Force Assistance Brigade, or a multi-domain task force. Um, so that's directed from Headquarters DA, the Chief of Staff of the Army, uh, or the Vice, and, and so the Army does that. So in that case, when you have a new formation, you have to create a doctrine, and while we don't have this expression of uh, draft doctrine, we do have things called O&Os, those Organization and Operations documents that, that provide the basis for experimentation. And they often become the draft for a, a new doctrinal publication. But as far as the enterprise goes, there's a relationship now. In the past, prior to last year, TRADOC, U.S. Army Training and Doctrine Command, was responsible for both concepts uh, and then uh, the implementation of those concepts across the force. With the creation of Army Futures Command, um, they are primarily responsible for that futures area, that future space. Um, and so there's a, a close working relationship between the Combined Arms Center here on behalf of the TRADOC commander 
and Army Futures Command and their Future Concept Center at, at Fort Eustis. Uh, and so it, it's a joint approach, joint in terms of the two organizations. Uh, and we all participate in those experiments, in those war games, in those training events um, and exercises. And, and so by working together, uh, we kind of have to figure out, you know, what's the handover from one to the other. And there's, it's not entirely clean. It's not like we flip a switch and say, okay, you guys now have all of MDO. Um, what happens is we evolve certain pieces of that that concept into our doctrinal publications as we revise them. Um, so I don't know if that was a good answer or not because it's kind of a mushy, mushy thing and it, it's quite frankly a question we get very routinely. Well, no, I think it's important to see that the, the collaboration that takes place behind the, behind the scenes is what makes, makes the magic, makes it work for us. Now, I think we, we've just discussed kind of how we're, we're looking at the future with our future operational concept with MDO. But taking a step back, we've had some significant changes to doctrine over the past couple of years, the past decade or so, um, with regards to, I'm thinking of things like Doctrine 2015. Can you talk us through some of those changes and kind of give our listeners an overall, you know, this is the hierarchy for doctrine today, and this is where we see it um, right now and where it could go? Sure. So <clears throat> when General Dempsey was the uh, TRADOC commander, uh, I want to say about 2010, uh, his vision was... Uh, Two or threefold. One of those uh, things he wanted to address was we had about 700 different field manuals uh, out there. Some had not been updated in, in, in decades. Um, and he viewed it as kind of unwieldy and it didn't really have an intellectual construct to it. It was just a bunch of, in some cases, unrelated uh, topics uh, kind of all put on the same plane um, and, and really not well understood by the force writ large. So what he dictated was we're going to switch to a doctrine hierarchy. We were going to make it uh, searchable. He, he kind of wanted to take advantage of the, the new technologies out there for databases and so forth. And, and then create this, this hierarchy of, from broad to specific in terms of fundamentals then tactics and then tactics, techniques, and procedures, kind of from the general to the specific. So this thing called Doctrine 2015 came out. It had three different levels. In Army doctrinal publications, which were 10-page, uh, very broad uh, approaches to uh, the fundamentals of the profession. So they were little, pa <clears throat> little pamphlets, little five-by-eight books. Then we had uh, Army doctrinal reference publications. They were about 100, 115 pages, uh, and, and they were kind of expanded upon the fundamentals. Um, then we had F field manuals, which we had always had, that only 50 of them, though, to limit the number to what was most important. And then uh, those field manuals would, would talk about tactics and expand upon the fundamentals some. And then the Army Techniques publications, which were exactly what uh, they sound like, and they were focused on very narrow tactical sets for the most part or certain formations. Um, with the publication of FM3O, which had been rescinded when we went to Doctrine 2015, so we had no capstone field manual on tactics. And as the Army shifted to the realization that uh, the operational environment required us to be prepared for large-scale ground combat against peer threats um, as we were coming out of Afghanistan and Iraq with the bulk of the Army, we 
we, we noticed that we had some opportunities, right? So we had, we had to make some changes. And, and so we, we kind of evolved in our thinking. But that FM 3.0 revision uh, was designed to account for two things. One, the need for the Army to have a capstone operations publication focused on large-scale ground combat. But two, this multi-domain battle, now multi-domain operations concept that was being worked, we needed to account for as much of that thinking as possible in the current doctrine. And so I think we did a pretty good job with the, of that in terms of looking at the operational environment and the threats, uh, and then talking about how commanders at Echelon account for uh, multi-domain capabilities, both our own uh, and the threats. And when we say multi-domain, it's this understanding that unlike Afghanistan and Iraq, things that happen in the maritime domain might be important, and that we would have adversaries that can contest us in space and cyberspace, which it, as well as the air which hadn't happened since uh, the Cold War. So FM 3.0 drove us towards saying, okay, so how can we streamline these things a little bit more? And we realized that those 10-page ADPs were really being used as executive summaries by folks. Uh, and, and, and the perception was that we were making people intellectually lazy. They would just read the 10-pager and think they were good, uh, and that was never the intent. So we combined the ADPs and the ADRPs. We did away with the ADRP designation uh, last year. And so now we just have three uh, echelons of publications in, in our hierarchy. It's the ADPs, it's the FMs, and it's the ATPs. And then everything that we've changed since October 2017 when we published FM 3.0 has been focused on two things, primarily. One, reorienting all our doctrine on readiness for large-scale ground combat against peer threats like Russia, China, uh, North Korea, and so forth. Um, the other is to account for this multi-domain operational environment and the fact that it will be contested by any of these uh, peer or near-peer opponents. Uh, and then lastly, uh, because people often ask this question, you know, so is the Army walking away? We're just defaulting to our comfort level and going back to the Cold War because the Army wants to do big wars. Uh, and I would say no, because we continue to uh, revise and update our doctrine that has to do with counterinsurgency or security cooperation and, and those kinds of things that we classify as competition um, below the, you know, the threshold of state-on-state -state conflict. Um, and so I guess the last piece I would add to the, you know, the haters out there that are saying the Army is walking away from its most common Really not. What we didn't have was doctrine that would help us deal with the most dangerous contingencies. Uh, certainly doctrine that hadn't been updated for a very long time. And so the Army's a, a big organization, and we do windows, right? We don't get to choose. We have to do whatever the country asks. So we have doctrine for the most common contingencies, and we have doctrine for the most dangerous. And we default to preparing for the most dangerous, because if you're ready for the worst case, uh, you can adapt and have time to adapt to the, the less dangerous. Yes, sir. Now, speaking of these changes, the ones you mentioned, and the changes that are sure, surely on the horizon for our doctrine, how do you balance the uh, need to update doctrine with also the need for the operational force to understand it? If we, you know, and if we sit here and we update it too quickly or too frequently, it may never become relevant. Um, so what kind of, uh, I guess, TTPs or methods have you seen that can help balance that those two sides of the, uh, the spectrum there. Yeah, it's really about taking an appetite suppressant, right? So the, nothing is more uh, disruptive to 
um, your professional lexicon, your professional language when you're inventing new language all the time. So the first thing we try to do is, is, is hold our ground on, on folks trying to introduce new words about old things. So if the new idea is really about a, a, the employment of Army capabilities in different combination, then let's just do that and not invent new words to do it. Every time we change a, a significant doctrinal publication, so I'm thinking the FM30s or any of the ADPs, when you change those, you're then forced to change all the downstream publications in the hierarchy, plus the publications on the left and right to maintain a certain level of congruence. So we strive mightily not to invent new words uh, and to use uh, words that we already have uh, to minimize the confusion of the force. The other thing is, and it's kind of the limiting factor, is you only have so much time and so many people uh, who are capable of writing the book. So we prioritize and we try to do it in such a way that we follow a logical sequence that, that becomes a battle rhythm over a number of years. Um, so it takes about 18 months to, to really revise, heavily revise a book, and it takes two years to write one from scratch. Um, anything shorter than that requires additional resources and, and, and a deliberate decision by, by senior leaders uh, to make that call. So while we understand that and there's been a lot of changes in the last few years, um, one, we try to keep them evolutionary. Two, we try to minimize the, the, the number of new words. Uh, and three, we try to get the word out there ahead of time that the change is coming. And we do that as we go around the, the force and, and engage with units in force common and overseas. Yes, sir. Now, you also have, are there, I, I know you've gone out and done um, engagements with, with various units at the training centers and whatnot. Is that... Is that just a standard part of our battle rhythm at CAD now? And is that something the units request, or is that directed from higher? How does that kind of play out? I'm, I'm kind of in the dark on, on those engagements. Yeah, so initially we reach, reached out to the force through the ForceCom first and foremost. And uh, so U.S. Army Forces Command, that's where the bulk of the, the operational force that's based in the continental United States, that's their senior headquarters. So... Um, because FM30 was new, because the focus on large-scale ground combat and, and talking about uh, multiple domains was new, uh, we went out, uh, myself and a, and a few other people, uh, to every division and corps, uh, plus a lot of other organizations across the Army over a period of about two years. Um, we've talked to most of the faculties at, at all of the TRADOC schools. Um, we've talked to... Uh, U.S. Army Reserve, U.S. Army National Guard formations uh, in the various states, and we had a lot of help uh, from CAC headquarters here. There, there was an armor colonel named Scott Cunningham who handled up the bulk of that for us uh, because it's you know, another 52 organizations that you had to, to go out and see, not counting the Army Reserve formation. So um, we like to do that kind of thing face-to-face, -face, and the reason for that is when, when you do it face-to-face, -face, you get to have sidebar conversations and, and you, you generate a series of questions um, and, and you give junior people the opportunity and, and it's not just the senior folks in the auditorium that can dominate the discussion. Um, so they're a lot of fun. Um, while they are time-consuming for, for the organizations, most of them, I think, found it value-added. Since COVID, we've gone to Microsoft Teams and Zoom and so forth. Um, and we still 
maintained a, a certain level of effectiveness. It's just harder to have uh, those robust conversations that we had in the past. But I'm sure it's something that will continue. Down yeah, the road. absolutely. And we, we look forward to being able to get, the, get out there on the road again. Back, back on the road show. Get the yeah. band together. All right, sir. So now I'd like to transition to some of the more uh, the the more recent innovations or doctrine hacks that uh, that CAD has taken the initiative with. And the first one um, is the doctrine smart book. So, Colonel Fox, if you could, um, could you describe the doctrine smart book? What is it, and uh, where can our listeners find it? Well, they can they can first find it on the CAD website. Uh, that is available. Um, I'm sure you you can list underneath this podcast that that address so listeners can find that. Um, and what the smart book does, and I'll, I'll I digress a little bit in the conversation uh, to a previous life as a PMS of describing what the profession is. Mm-hmm. You know, beyond just being paid to do what we do and being professionals, we are members of a, the Army profession. Mm-hmm. In that, the three pillars, self-regulating capability, progressive education, and, and our format, our, our position in this profession is the knowledge repository. We are the keepers of the knowledge of our profession of arms. Um, the understandability that the boss was just talking about uh, lies in the hands and responsibility of our writers. Um, the accessibility, availability, and usability I put in, in the realm of the guys that work in my shop in the, in the publishing side of the house. So to do that, one of the, one of the steps is the, the, the doctrinal smart book. And it literally is that. It's a, it's a simplified desk side pocket book, however you, you deem to print it, um, that lays out each one of our manuals of its intent, the products that are inside that book, and its usages. So it's also an easy means by which users in the profession can find doctrine, look for the doctrine that they need, and how it fits into the bigger picture. So it helps them filter it down. It helps them you know, filter it down to what they need. Gotcha. And is it, it includes ADPs and FMs? It does. ATPs? Where does it? Uh, where's... Uh, we don't go clear down to the ATPs uh, just because it would get so large. Uh, we're going to hang at the, the FMs. Um, one of the other documents we're, ta- we're going to talk about in this podcast, we're going to get to the ATPs and, and why it's all filtered at that point. But the, the smart book is just that. It's not a, an encompassing of all information required. But it's the starting point for somebody to first understand where it lies and how it plays into the doctrinal manual system and then how they can utilize it and use it for the profession. Now, can you, so I wanted to switch to another hack uh, along the similar lines, and that's the Doctrine Comprehensive Guide or the DCG. The DCG, yes. So what is that and how is it different from the smart book, I guess, would be a great place to start. A great question because um, to date it was a limited, limited production availability. Um, it was a DVD produced for our uh, flow through Sergeant's Major Academy uh, folks and our pre-command course folks that they got a DVD uh, that encompassed most of the doctrine uh, published through APD. Uh, but more importantly on that disc was a very user-friendly, nuanced software package that allowed a user to progress through doctrine in a logical means and a teachable means to access it, and it goes to the accessibility of what we're looking for. So we've taken the DVD out of this uh, because, one, the Army doesn't produce computers anymore with DVD drives unless you specifically ask, you know, OPSEC and all the goodness on that. Um, So we have now made this available uh, through the CAR uh, as well as the CAD website. And what it literally is, it's a Windows-based connectivity that allows a user to 
literally go in and go through organizational charts, find themselves in a divisional chart, whatever battalion they are. They can, they can click on the icon of the battalion they're in, and it brings up all of the doctrinal information that pertains to that battalion. If they want to talk about a divisional element, click on that division. It gives them access to each one of them. More so inside that, uh, as you click on a specific doctrinal book, it provides access to a short and long briefing uh, that the writers of the book provided a senior leader five-pager um, slide deck of this is what the inside of the, this book means, what's it for, and what the primary concepts, logic charts are. Uh, another briefing goes more in-depth, so it gives those junior leaders and senior leaders the ability to have a prepackaged, smart briefing that they can pull up, utilize to do during sergeant's time, key leader training time, uh, to, to level the bubble on the education side of our, our profession throughout. So that's primarily what that comprehensive doctrine guide is for, is a easy access. Secondarily, it's a listing of all of the key fundamental doctrinal publications that are out there that if a user does want to download it to a, a DVD, if they have one in the office, they can keep that with them and it, it acts as the old DVDs that uh, Army Publishing Directorate published 10, 15 years ago, uh, that if you aren't in the, the area of internet access, uh, of NIPR access, you can have a, uh, a transportable library of the fundamental uh, big doctrine books. And now, sir, your, your division is also responsible for the CAD newsletter. What is that, and is it accessible to the, the broader force? Um, it, it is. And could you give us some background on it? Uh, the, the newsletter itself is based, based we, we set it out every six months, semi-annually, uh, and its intent is to introduce concepts. Uh, I know the boss is going to talk uh, a little bit about the upcoming FM30 that I'll publish here in the next 18 to 24 months. Uh, it uh, produces updates to the doctrine, the current doctrine that is out there, and updating what has happened, and then what has been published. Uh, it goes to the uh, availability, accessibility side of our, our publishing side of the house of many folks don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. The newsletter provides an avenue to say these new publications are out. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate as we do the road shows where we get out in the public and we ask questions of brigade commanders of, have you seen the new ADP 6.0 that was published? And you get the deer in the headlights look, just, they're busy. They don't, get, they don't get a knock on the door saying, hey, there's a, a new, new definition of mission command and command and control is back in the lexicon, unless they hear about it on the coffee machine. So this is a, an ability for the CAC commander and the boss uh, to get the word out of what's important coming up. Uh, a significant one coming out in this newsletter uh, for this, uh, for October, will be the CAC commander's emphasis on platoon level ATPs, getting them in the hands and revising those platoon level manuals. Mm -hmm. And the intent is as second lieutenants leave their BOLIC, whatever it may be, they have a manual for the platoon they are going to, as well as the, the MTO for they're going to. So they have a good working document to know what they're supposed to do and be able to execute the mission uh, when they hit their boots to the ground. Mm -hmm. So and so, how can our users access this? Also, also will be listed on the CAD website. CAD website. Yes. Okay. Hey, Chris, you also have, so we use, we, we, we get in the habit of throwing out acronyms. So, I'll, so there's a thing called the CAR. We, each of us has, might have brought that up. It's the Central Army Registry. So you just Google Central Army Registry, and that has uh, all our doctoral publications plus some of our 
things that aren't authenticated doctrine, but the interactive living doctrine and our audio books. And then the Army Publishing Director, which you don't even need a CAD or a CAT card to get to, um, that lists all the Army and Joint Doctrine as well. And so that's something that we, we spend a lot of time educating people about because they say, well, you know, how can I find this? And literally, the Army's Publishing Director, if you go to it just one time, you can download anything you want in about a minute and a half. So, yeah, it's all right there. And, that, and that's some of the, the key issues. It's, it's, and like Colonel Cree just said, it's the level of knowledge or understanding that the APD, the Army Publishing Directorate's website, mm-hmm. one, it's large. So you, you see it and you, there's a listing. And folks tend to want to get a quicker answer than, than finding out through it. And that's why we, we do what we do to make, it, make things accessible mm-hmm. and, and notification-wise. Um, but like, like you said, the, the APD is a repository of everything. And it doesn't hit there unless it's been authenticated. And, and it's... So moral of the story is don't Google and don't go to fast.org to get doctrine from 1996. (laughs) Use the APD website. All right, so now, sir, I'd like to turn to uh, uh, Colonel Bagrabi, and I'm excited to talk about this next hack. This is uh, one that was near and dear to my heart, and I got to look at it last year in a draft form. And that's a a new publication, ATP 5-0.2, or the Staff Reference Guide. So, sir, you were the lead author on this book and have done a lot of hard work with it. Um, could you give us some background on what this is and uh, what gap it's intended to fill? Well, really, the, the big things, it's, it's several things in one, but the biggest thing, it's, it's really a one-stop shopping for doctrinal information. Mm-hmm. Right now, the way doctrine is, there's a lot of, as we just talked about, there's, there's hundreds of FMs and ATPs and, and publications out there, and there's a couple good nuggets that you have a staff member at Battalion Brigade Division needs to know. This took all those nuggets and put it in one stop, in one location. So instead of going, we call it a going fish, hey, go find this manual, go find that one thing. Hey, go to this manual, find that one thing. Now sort of choose your own adventure. It's all in one book. You can flip through a book. And if you had to take one thing to the field, when the power's out, it's dark outside, you're in the back of a vehicle, and you need to f- figure out an op order and create a plan, this is the reference you want. And when this gets wet, it gets lost, it gets destroyed, it's something you get angry about. Because um, it, it, really, it, has, it has tools, it has techniques for any member of the staff. Again, this isn't the staff officer guide. This is a staff member guide. So anyone on the staff, NCO, enlisted, officers, any one of those staff levels at battalion, brigade, or division. And it's also then cliff notes for doctrine. If you don't know, um, we have charts in here and, and tools to help with a wet gap crossing. There's a whole publication dealing with nothing but wet gap crossing that's hundreds of pages long, goes in depth, and explains in every bit of detail. If you study that, instead of looking that whole manual out, if you already understand that and you're an expert at that, here's the cheat sheet that gives you the, the eight to 10 pages you need to remember help get you where you're going instead of lugging out another 400 pages. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to help get things down. But then also, if you don't know, this is your starting point. We have those references. Hey, go see this publication. Mm-hmm. This is where you can find more details out about it. So this is a start point. So it's a lot of things in one thing. But the biggest thing is that one-stop shopping and that one booking you take to the field. So you alluded to the, uh, for example, the wet gap crossing piece. Um, I remember when I looked through it, there was some great nuggets in there about frontages and, and all sorts of rates of march. Um, but can you talk us through how it's organized, sir, some of the bigger chapters and, and what those, the contents actually are? Yeah, so we, we organize hopefully what we think is an easy, easy and useful way. We'll see whether the force thinks so or not, but uh, we tested out a couple, the CGSC class, and they, they thought it was pretty good. Uh, we started, uh, we followed the first four steps of the operations process. So everything the Army does is the operations process. They plan, prepare, execute, and assess. But what we did was sort of we changed the thought process up a little. We put assess in the very front. Uh, we want to change that how people think about things. Right now, studies show 
that people make about 30,000 decisions in a day. And so the listener right now is making an assessment whether they're listening to this podcast or not. And so what we want to make sure is, is assessments is something that's thought about throughout the process, not at the very end. It's, it's not just an AAR. There, there's more to assessments than just that. So we're trying to change the focus of this. We're trying to change people's thoughts. So after this first and really the only, only four chapters we have, everything else is a series of appendices. It has nothing but data, tools, and, and techniques to help you with what you need to do. The first three appendices deal with planning tools for the offense, defense, enabling operations. Then it's broken down by warfighting functions. So maneuver, movement and maneuver, fires, intelligence, sustainment. Sustainment appendix is actually our second largest section after MDMP, the the military decision-making process. Um, Over 50 pages and over 250 charts and figures throughout this entire book uh, showing some of the depth of what we have going on in the project. Um, After warfighting functions, we then go into a couple of special topic areas that didn't neatly been in any, any warfighting functions, things such as uh, liaison activities, roles of the staff and responsibilities, uh, stability and DISCA considerations. Uh, something we did for this book, we put this book on a very large, focused on large-scale combat operations. So in any of the operations, in any of the processes we talked, we stripped out anything dealing with stability or DISCA. The, yes, the Army does that, but if you understand how to do it in an offense and defense environment, here's what you can do to modify it. So it's almost like a recipe. Here's a recipe to make sugar cookies. But if you need to make chocolate chip cookies, add the following things and change it like this. So it's a neat baseline. Instead of, we thought it ruined the flow a little bit. If you're, you're saying, hey, here's how to do combat, but hey, in case of stability, in case of DISCA, it sort of, it seems disjointed to us a little bit. So we try to keep this as a large-scale combat focus. And then also, sorry, one last thing. Uh, there are two volumes to this. There's actually, it's, it's 5-0.2.1 now and .2. So there's another... Make it even more confusing, another dot on there. But it's, it's volume one and volume two. Volume one is unclassified distribution unlimited, and that's the main portion of the book. That is 400-something pages, and that is, as anyone can get that, they can go, once it's published, it's hopefully published soon, and this is being recorded early, mid-September, mm-hmm. hopefully this gets published soon, we'll find it on APD. Um, anyone can find it. But also there is a volume two. Volume two is unclassified distribution D which means it's releasable to DOD and DOD contractors only. So that's going to be behind a firewall. You will need to have a CAC car to get to it. That's going to have some neat things like task organizations, equipment list, uh, some other sensitive information in there that we can't put in the main document. So that that, that volume two is about 30 pages. That's, I think, what a lot of people really want to have. So you make sure there's aware there's a volume one and a volume two, and that 30 pages is a lot of key stuff people are looking for. Okay. Now, like I said, I, I got a chance to look at it last year, sir. I was I was excited, but I was also frustrated because I wish I had had this in my previous life as a staff officer. I think I remember the smart books we had to use would go to clothing and sales, and you'd buy the FM three O smart operations smart book and whatnot. So my question is, have have we had a version of this in the past? Um, and if so, what happened to it? We have um, the most recent is uh, called the one hundred ten series. There's a FM and a student text here at CGSC, and it sort of faded away with the past. You know, past 20 years or so being working at, um, in a coin environment, working stability, it's sort of faded away. It's sort of gone to, as everybody's been living in the fobs and doing the same thing, replacing the unit, all that stuff of figuring out ammunition supply, uh, logistics supply, heck, even going to the DFAC was under a contract. It wasn't, you have to worry about ordering food and ordering class one. It's all contracted out. So all that bit of, of information that technology needed has sort of faded away. It's, it hasn't gone away, but it's just the use and repetitions hasn't needed. As so we go back to large-scale combat, we got, we got looking through and we were researching to start this. We actually found going back to 1861, 
We found an Army officer's pocket companion and manual for staff officers in the field. We talked about the amount of hay a mule needed on the march, the amount of hardtack a soldier ate, and how to set up the, where to put the latrines when you build a field fortification. And they actually, when you read the fine print, this is something we stole from the French in the 1860s. So you got to think they just come off Napoleon and marching around Europe and stuff. So we stole a French manual, translated to English, and we used that every, pretty much every war, every officer in the Civil War carried that in his pocket and what they did operations. So even though the technology has changed, the science of war hasn't. So instead of feeding mules, now I'm feeding tanks and Bradleys. So science is always going to be there. And this book is trying to bring back that science part. So once you understand the science, you can do better art and what you need to do. We also needed to mainstream the science, right? Because we had walked in some ways when we went to the uh, the, the current organizations and, and uh, you depended upon contracts, but we also went down the digital route. So how to plan road marches and do those march tables, yeah, they were digital products for people to use and it was always, hey, S4, or G4, or Division Transportation Officer, go figure this out. Well, a battalion S4 may not have access to those kinds of things. And if you're in an environment where you have to do it by hand with a pencil and a red light, a red lens flashlight under a poncho, you know, you don't have access to uh, a server that you can download that stuff. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, DVDs or CDs are, are less frequently employed in the, in the computers that the Army fields. So that science aspect of warfare became everybody's problem. It's no longer just the purview of you know a branch or a uh, a specialty. Um, you know, armor officers who are serving as a battalion S four or infantry armor officers serving as the brigade S one. You know, they have to be able to have access to this information, and it can't be the purview of a a, a specific branch or or uh, MOS specialty. Well, Colonel McGrady, you, you mentioned it's two volumes, although the second volume is fairly short. Overall, the book's pretty big. I, I think when I looked at it, it was, it was a couple hundred pages. What's the, uh, what's the plan to keep this thing current and, and to update it? Yeah, we realize once Doctrine is published, this thing, just like a car driving off the lot, it's no longer a new car anymore. It, it instantly loses a lot of its value. Um, as soon as this gets published, new Doctrine is going to get published. It's going to go out of date. Um, the current plan is that we're going to try to do a ver- new version of this every year, with the publication being sort of tied to release of CGSC. Mm. So part of the goal is every time a new class of CGSC starts, that they'll get a hard copy of this to use during the year. So it's one thing to get a, a book, and, you know, as he says, 400 pages, uh, and the only time people ever read doctrines in the schoolhouse. Yeah. No one ever has time in the force. You're busy. You're, you're, doing, you're doing force stuff. Um, but when you're in the schoolhouse, it's a chance to look through it, understand it, use it, and, and really do what you want with it. Tab it, highlight it, mark it up, rip pages out, put pages in, correct numbers, change numbers like, hey, I like this, but I think I always want to add 10% to this. I'm going to change all these numbers 10% more. That's your chance to do it. So then when you go to the field, you understand it and use it. And then you have the most current thing when you go out. Um, so that's how we're going to keep it current is, is the plan. Um, we'll see how that works and maybe we go to digital or something in the extreme future. But right now we're looking at every year sort of doing an update on it going out with the first version uh, going through the editors being sometime here in September. Okay. Well, Sure, they have a lot of eager staff officers and NCOs that'll be that'll welcome that when it comes out. Now, I'd like to uh, circle back, sir, to uh, to Colonel Creed here with a final series of questions, and that's um, with regards to a project that we've had called First Living Doctrine, uh, which was a series of interactive digital publications. You mentioned it earlier. 
Um, however, it kind of morphed uh, recently, and that's in, it's become we've focused more on audiobooks. Uh, so, can you tell us, sir, um, why we're exploring audiobooks and what what the uh, the purpose of that is? Yeah, so we had this idea called Living Doctrine that came out. Uh, General Lundy was a big champion of it when he commanded the uh, Aviation Center of Excellence, and it was because, you know, particularly in the aviation world, this, this ability to visualize what you're talking about and, and show icons moving and, and so forth um, really was a powerful uh, powerful tool uh, for the, the aviation community. So when he became the CAT commander, one of the suggestions was, hey, let's take a look at doing this living doctrine. When we say living, we really mean interactive doctrine. Um, so we call it doctrine. They're not authenticated because they deviate from the, uh, the words that are in a hard copy or, or digital form of the publication. But they're still doctrinally relevant. We're not changing anything. It's just the approach. Uh, but what we found was, one, it was very expensive. Um, we had to hire uh, some IT specialists and many who did not have any familiarity with the United States Army or even the subject matter we were, we were talking to. Uh, and so we really struggled uh, at great cost to try to put some of these pubs together. And they are available on the Central Army Registry. They're still there. Uh, and, and folks that take a look at them. I think the most popular was the Ranger Handbook, far and away uh, the most useful, you know, show people how to tie knots and those kinds of things. Um, so that was very popular, and that one was actually not too difficult uh, to do. When you got into uh, FM30, Capstone Operations, it became more problematic, and you have to make value judgments about, okay, I'm going to have this historical vignette, and you, you click on the button on the screen, and some narrator starts describing some battle from the Second World War. Um, or you, you have other things that you can click on that give call-outs uh, for great American leaders in the past uh, uh, or, or things that uh, happened in a, in a particular battle. What happened was, though, one, we, we've, it was extremely labor-intensive because the folks who are building the product are not military people for the most part. Um, we had to dedicate people uh, to do it full-time. Uh, and, and then on top of everything else, because we really don't have anybody for full time, these, these projects would drag out uh, over a period of time. So we actually got to the point where we finished an ADP 3.0 version, and the next version had come out, and we still hadn't really finished the first one yet. So we said, you know, I don't know if this is the best use of Army resources. Uh, and so General Lunny and I were discussing this, this idea of, well, why don't we try an audiobook? So Ted Crisco, who runs our Special Doctrine Division, uh, talked to uh, the folks at Fort Eustis, and we said, okay, let's give it a try. So we tried it with FM30, um, hired a couple uh, voice actors, uh, worked up a script to, to make an audiobook out of it, and it turned out, uh, one, to be a much faster thing to, to produce, uh, and two, uh, much cheaper. It cost about 25% as much as the same publication would have if we had done the interactive version. So the next thing we had to figure out was, <laughs> were people going to receive it? I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to audiobooks. Uh, whether they listen to audiobooks about doctrine is another question altogether. But we figured it was worth the chance um, if all those officers and NCOs that have long commutes, uh, that those folks that do that solo PT on their own and they want to listen to something, 
other than music from time to time. There's a lot of people who have trouble sleeping at night, so they could listen to Doctrine to, as their lullaby. Um, and so we published that, what, uh, 2018? Yeah. So uh, we did one, and we knew we were on to something because we made the duffel blog within a, a couple of weeks. And, and so our friends over there said we, I think the headline was, we had seven whole downloads, and only four of them were from CAD. Um, but we've got a, a lot of positive feedback from folks, including this past week where a couple of the division commanders said on their drive out here to Leavenworth, they listened to audiobooks and, and actually this podcast uh, on the way out. Um, so we've expanded that out to other publications as well. And uh, happy to answer any questions on that. If you Well, sir, I'm, I'm curious, what's the process for selecting you know, a book that should become an audio book. How, what kind of criteria do you look at? I know my understanding would be probably the, the staff reference guide might not be the best to put, turn into an audio book, but we've had some success with others. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, Roger. So books that have a lot of tables and charts in them, they do not translate well. I mean, it, the audio book best works when you're talking about uh, uh, paragraphs of words uh, that come together in some coherent fashion so that someone can read them. Um, so that w- that's what makes them a little bit shorter than the actual publications themselves because charts and tables don't make it in. Um, as far as choosing them, we made a few value judgments ourselves up front about what to do. The capstone publications first and foremost. Um, so uh, ADP-1, the Army, uh, FM-30, obviously operations. Uh, and, and so we did that. Then we decided, okay, those publications that military professionals are expected at the field grade level to have a passing familiarity with would be the Army doctrinal publications, so those 15 books. So they became the first priority, and we'll have those done uh, by Christmas time here this year. Then we, we had to decide, well, okay, a lot of people want to get in on that action, right? So they've got FMs. We don't do all the publications in the Army, the Centers of Excellence uh, around trade art are responsible for different publications. And so they would nominate uh, publications uh, for uh, turning into audiobooks. And we would generally, if the funding allowed, support them or at least put them in contact with the people so that they can do the effort themselves. So we've got a few of those working. One of the things that, uh, that Ted Crisco came up with, which is a pretty good idea, is we went go to the APD website, the Army Publishing Directorate, and determine the number of downloads. So folks download doctrinal publications all the time, every day of the year. And so we can keep track of which ones are the most popular. And the ones that are the most popular obviously become really logical candidates for audiobooks as well. Uh, so that's what we've been doing. And, and that's actually pretty interesting because then you see what uh, the company grade officers and, and non-commissioned officers in our companies, battalions, and brigades are most interested in. Because like Reed said, you know, People don't sit around reading doctrine. They want to know or become passingly familiar with a doctrine that's related to the job that they're in. And so our perspective here is not necessarily always going to be the most accurate about what the field is looking for in any particular time or place. Anything to do with the armor, uh, physical fitness uh, and uh, physical training, those kinds of things, very popular. Uh, the Ranger Handbook continues to be uh, very popular. And, and so... Uh, we will continue to, to follow that TTP as we go. We've got enough work to keep us busy for the rest of the year, and, uh, and we take requests. 
So if folks are out there listening, uh, think there's a book that would make a good audio book, then just shoot us a note and, and we can take care of that. And those are all available on the CAR, the Central Army Registry, correct, That's sir? correct, yes. Well, gentlemen, have, are there any hacks or innovations that, that I might have missed? or Don't, don't forget the, uh, the Doctrine app. The Doctrine app. The so Doctrine can you app itself. Oh, yeah, yeah, give yeah, us some yeah. background on that? The background on it, it's, you know, we live in a world of, of smartphones and, and devices. Um, so the, the general population below the, the age of 55, uh, I guarantee, is carrying something, some kind of PDA. And the Doctrine app itself is available currently only to the, the, the Google kind of boxes out there, the Android versions. Uh, we are working currently with, through Tradoc with Apple to have it available, but it's going to be an easy access to APD uh, through their phone. To hit the, app, the Doctrine app uh, for ATPs, FMs, ADPs. Uh, and they can then download it to their device. Um, and going back to what we were saying before, in those limited environments, these young, young officers and young NCOs and young enlisted are going to have their PDAs on them. Uh, it's a means by which to have that doctrine available to them uh, down to the ATP to those platoon-level documents. Uh, apologize it's not on, on Apple yet. We're working through those, those technical issues. So currently they can get it through the Android store? Androids, they can get it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, Google Play is where I downloaded mine, I think, uh, on my phone. And it really works pretty easy. I mean, it's a quick thing. You just search U.S. Army Doctrine, and it pops right up as an option for download. Well, gentlemen, um, I think we'll wrap things up. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Chris. I'd also like to thank our listeners and note that the links to some of the hacks discussed today can be found in this episode's description. Additionally, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official position of the United States Army, the U.S. Army Training Doctor Command, or the Combined Arms Center. I'm Major Chris Parker, and this is Breaking Doctrine.